You are listening to Biotech Breakthroughs, a new podcast series from William Blair's Equity Research Group that explores the news and trends shaping the biotech industry. Welcome back for another episode of Biotech Breakthroughs. I'm Tim Lugo, head of Biotech Equity Research here at William Blair. And I'm joined by Sammy Corwin, uh, another analyst here on the biotech team. And we're here to discuss CAR T therapy for autoimmune disease. Sammy recently put out a piece on the topic, and I'm happy she's here to join us as I want to dig into it more in podcast form. So, Sammy, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tim. No problem at all. Maybe we should just start out with, can you give us a bit of a background as what has led to CAR-T excitement for use in the autoimmune disorders? Uh, after reading your report, I realized there's been some really impressive data recently. So I'd love for you to just kind of frame how we've gotten to this uh, point in time. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would also be helpful to provide some context more broadly as to how rapidly the CAR-T space as a whole has developed. The first IND for a CAR-T for oncology was filed in 2014, I believe, with the first being approved in 2017. So if you think about how rapidly the space has evolved, these therapies have only really been in the clinic for about 10 years with some only being approved for five. So following those approvals in 2017, there were some preclinical studies showing that CAR-T could be used in mouse models to eradicate lupus. Shortly thereafter, in 2021, there was a case study published out of an academic center in Germany by a group led by Dr. George Schett, in which he showed that the administration of CAR-T a one that was commercially available for hematological malignancies when administered to a patient with lupus nephritis resulted in durable drug-free remission in that patient uh, with improved clinical activity and a reduction in autoantibodies that drive that disease. So that was really the catalyst, this case study publication in 2021 that led to so much excitement in the field and that professor subsequently published a paper in 2022 that showed a replication of that effect in four additional lupus patients. So it showed that this was not a one-off occurrence, that it was replicable, and they were able to drive durable drug-free remission in multiple lupus patients. So that got the field really excited and led to multiple companies then repurposing or developing cell therapies for the treatment of autoimmune diseases. So it was a shit data that really kicked off the excitement of CAR-T in the space, and that he used CAR-T-specific for hematologic malignancies first. So he was repurposing a cancer therapy first? Correct. Correct. He was repurposing a variation of an approved CAR-T for hematological malignancies. So there had been clinical data kind of establishing it, showing its effect in the oncology setting, and he repurposed it for autoimmune diseases based on the thesis that if it could kill B cells in the context of 
hematological malignancies, why couldn't it kill B cells in the context of an autoimmune disease? And we've obviously been targeting B cells for a long time in oncology. I'd love to know, are these CAR Ts still from the oncology space being taken into the autoimmune sector? Is there anything specific to the autoimmune diseases why you would um, use a different CAR T? There are many companies who have repurposed their cell therapy, whether that be a CAR T or a CAR and K cell, and repurpose it for use in the autoimmune setting. And it is advantageous when you think about it because they have some clinical data to support the underlying therapeutic activity and safety profile of those therapies before repurposing them for autoimmune diseases. I think it remains to be seen just how exactly those safety profiles and therapeutic efficacy windows really translate to the autoimmune setting. Uh, But we have seen many companies take that approach. So remind me how effective the initial shed data looked. I remember when I was looking over your report a few weeks ago, being a bit blown away, you know, with the lupus data. But can you remind us how severe are these patients and what kind of responses were they seeing? Yes. So these were extremely severe patients. I don't think this will be a treatment that's for all autoimmune disease patients. These lupus patients were bordering on renal failure. But as of uh, two months ago, the American College of Rheumatology Conference, Shet and his colleagues presented updated data from 15 patients across three autoimmune diseases, including lupus. All patients are now in a durable drug-free remission with the first patient treated now having two and a half years of follow-up. So that patient is two and a half years. That's correct. So uh, really impressive results, especially considering how highly refractory this patient was. I believe they were refractory to seven different types of medications. So very impressive, absolutely life-changing. That's amazing. And they were previously kind of rituxan failures or biologic failures before entering this study? Correct. That's impressive. So I know, so taking the German data, can you kind of update us where we are in the States? Uh, I know after doing some marketing with you, there's been some questions around enrollment, kind of correlated uh, U.S. trials. Is this, can you give us an update on what we expect over the next 12 months here in the U.S.? Yes. So there is a number of companies that are now pursuing or advancing their CAR-T or CAR-NK candidates in the clinic for the treatment of several autoimmune disease, the most popular being lupus nephritis. So there's certainly some competition there regarding the enrollment of patients. And so we expect clinical data from a number of companies over this upcoming year, and which will be particularly interesting is based on SHETS data, we kind of expect that what these companies produce at three months will translate to what these patients clinical benefit will look like over the course of the next year as well. So that's something that's differentiated from the oncology space. I would expect data from, it's going to be early data sets, three to six months likely from a handful of patients from each company. I think there will also be nuances in the baseline patient characteristics. So keeping an eye on that and looking at how that affects long-term clinical benefit will also be something we want to keep an eye on. It'll also be interesting to see if 
these companies are able to replicate the deep responses shown with Dr. Shett's data, there's absolutely some lingering questions as to whether there, there's some questions as to given that was a single clinical trial site's observations, whether it will be translatable in a multi-site setting. Anything specific to the CAR-T structure? You mentioned, you know, CAR-T and CAR and K cells are being used here in the States. Is there anything specific to those structures or those constructs that would make them less effective or more effective? I think the jury's still out on that. There is some debate as to whether the use of alternative signaling domains within the CAR structure will lead to a better or more tolerable safety profile. I don't think we have enough clinical data there yet to support that argument one way or the other. There's there's also an argument as to whether a NK cell may be more effective or more maybe more appropriate than a T cell. And that argument stems from the fact that in the oncology setting, CAR and K cells have shown a more tolerable safety and response compared to CAR T cells, and they are naturally allogeneic or off the shelf, so they could be more readily available for patients because currently the data we've seen has only been from autologous generated CAR T cells. Okay, so that's interesting. It could be different than the oncology setting where the off the shelf products could have a little bit more of a role than what we've seen already in oncology, right? Yes, absolutely. And and there's some differences in how these cell therapies are going to act in the autoimmune space versus the oncology space. For example, in the oncology space, physicians really want to see deep and durable elimination of B cells and persistence of the existing engineered cells or CAR T cells, whereas that doesn't seem to be the case in the autoimmune setting. We actually see a deep transient decrease in B cells, and then those B cells seem to reemerge in the autoimmune setting around day 100, with the CAR T cells also being eliminated around that same time frame. And that seems to be very important as well, because we're seeing the reemergence of naive B cells, which effectively shows that these patients have been cured. The reemergence of B cells also decreases these patients' risk for long-term infections, which is a risk associated with long-term B cell aplasia. And maybe malignancy risk, right? Isn't there malignancy risk associated with, or at least questions around malignancy in the in the oncology space? There are some risks. There are some theoretical risks, secondary malignancies, and part of that is due to the therapies given to the patients before treatment with the CAR T cells. There's also a hypothetical risk of the way these CAR T cells are created that the CAR could be inserted into the DNA of the T cell, which could then cause that T cell to become malignant. That has been a of increased interest to investors and the broader space recently following the FDA announcing that they are investigating some cases of T-cell lymphomas following the treatment of CAR-T in the oncology space. I don't think we've seen enough data right now to definitively establish that it was the insertion of a CAR driving those malignancy incidences. It's absolutely a hypothetical risk, but I don't know how tangible it is at this time. But Given that autoimmune patients 
are not going to imminently die in the next year compared to oncology patients. I think that the risk benefit tolerance is slightly different. And that's why we saw a lot of those autoimmune companies stocks get hit more severely after that FDA announcement compared to oncology companies. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. There's also was it less CRS with these autoimmune CAR-Ts. Can you dig into that a bit? Why is that the case? We've seen in the hematology setting, I'm always hearing patients, you know, essentially going through a lot of suffering before the, uh, before the efficacy is uh, apparent. Uh, but that's obviously uh, a little different in the autoimmune world. Yeah, it's a good observation, Tim. It's hypothesized that in the oncology space, these malignant B-cells have a replication advantage, and that is what's in part driving the high level of tumor burden. And so there's a lot of these target cells, and when you put a CAR T-cell in a patient to fight this massive army of malignant B-cells, it's causing a dramatic increase in cytokines, which leads to a lot of these high-grade toxicities we're seeing. So as you said, the high-grade CRS, the high-grade ICANs, But compared to the autoimmune setting, these B cells don't have a replication advantage. So there are fewer of these target cells compared to the oncology setting. And so it's hypothesized that that is in part what is driving this lower occurrence of toxicity, lower grade toxicity, and also what's driving the decreased CAR T persistence because those target cells, there are fewer of them and they're being eliminated much more rapidly. I think that's also why it's a bit more challenging to accurately interpret and guess what the safety profile of a CAR T in the oncology setting is going to look like when you put it in the autoimmune setting. I think that kind of leads into 2024 and, you know, really some clinical questions. As I was going through your report, I was wondering where these programs go clinically. Are they going to use placebo arms eventually? Will there be active arms? Will CD20 antibodies be necessary for comparator? Can you talk a bit about where you think the kind of clinical development path is for a lot of these products? Absolutely. So in most early stage CAR-T trials, I expect these to be single arm trials. In most trials, patients will likely receive a standard preconditioning treatment of Cyflu followed by the administration of CAR T cells. It is to be seen what a pivotal trial is going to look like. I would expect most of these patients have previously received rituximab and other biologics. The main question is how much the flu part of that preconditioning regimen is contributing to the overall efficacy that we're seeing in the autoimmune setting. Most of these autoimmune patients have been previously exposed to cyclophosphamide or psi, but most of them haven't been exposed to fludarabine. So there is a lingering question that companies may have to run a placebo, put that in quotations, um, controlled study against fludarabine or cyflu alone compared to cyflu plus the CAR-T to better hone in on the solitary benefit of the CAR-T therapy. Has Cyflu been used in the past for autoimmune 
indications before we start using antibodies? And I guess how often is, is Cyflu used these days for these severe lupus patients or severe autoimmune patients? So Psy is pretty standard in the treatment of a lot of these autoimmune patients. So most of them will have been previously exposed to Psy. Most of them have not been exposed to flu or fludarabine. So it, it's really whether fludarabine is driving some of this efficacy is, is a outstanding question in the space. And I also saw as I was going through the report, you mentioned some of these products have dual acting strategies for BCMA and CD20. Are we there yet in knowing kind of which strategy is more efficacious or do you have a sense of where you think the market will be heading over the next few years? Yeah, so to date, we've only seen data from therapies targeting single antigen targets. So we haven't seen any clinical data from these dual antigen targets in the context of autoimmune diseases, at least. We've seen them in the context of oncology. I think it's too early to say whether a dual target approach may be beneficial for some autoimmune indications over others. It will be kind of interesting to see if some of Shet's patients or some of these other companies' patients eventually do relapse and to figure out what the driving factors are under that. And maybe there are some baseline characteristics or identifying factors that would suggest that those patients may be more amenable to a dual targeted approach. But at this point in time, I think it's too early to say whether they'll be more efficacious, especially when looking at Shet's data where we're seeing a bit of a ceiling effect, right? It seemed to work in, in all 15 of these patients with very robust responses. So how much better can you get than perfect? <laughs> so we're, we, it, it might not be completely perfect when it translates into more patients. Uh, uh, that's kind of something we always see in biotech, right? Exactly. And you know, going back to the regional differences, so obviously the Shet Lab and Germany has been leading the way with CAR-Ts in the autoimmune space. Seems like there's going to be a lot of U.S. trials reading out or beginning enrollment, and then we'll see more data over the next one to two years. As I was going through the report, I also saw a ton of Chinese studies. Is that something where we're going to get some data from that region that is kind of not expected or, you know, they someone shows up at a medical meeting with 50 patients of data? Can you, can you just uh, point to uh, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, China's always had a heavy hand in the development of CAR-T. I think they have used it plentifully both in the oncology and autoimmune setting as well. It tends to be a mixed bag there. I think that we've seen some really incredible data sets come out of China that have translated into commercial products. I think we've also seen some data come from single clinical trial sites in China that maybe have not translated as those clinical trials have expanded to U.S. applications as well. So I think, again, it's it's too early to say there might be some fantastic product out there, but I think it'll be really critical to have a multi-clinical trial site clinical trial to really establish the efficacy and safety profile of these products. And so we, we're seeing really effective data in lupus. We're seeing really effective data in, was it myositis? Where other areas do you think this is going to impact over the next few years? 
Yeah, we've seen some really great data in lupus, myositis, and scleroderma. We've also seen some emerging data in myostasia gravis. And we've heard a number of companies are also pursuing CAR-T in multiple sclerosis. We've noticed that companies have narrowed their focus and are slowly expanding into some larger populations that are maybe a bit more high risk, high reward, and aren't as clean cut, but are much larger populations. So it really just speaks to the breadth of the opportunity here. Based on my conversations with thought leaders and companies, that's just the tip of the iceberg, it sounds like. Eventually, a, a lot of companies would like to go into rheumatoid arthritis or, or fibrosis and, and some of these non-traditional or larger indications. I saw FAPCAR mentioned in your report, and you know, that seemed incredibly interesting. If uh, These fibrotic diseases have been very difficult to have effective therapies in, so this would be incredibly interesting. Well, I guess with that, those are, I think that summarizes your report very well. So thanks for joining us. This has been uh, awesome. And uh, it was great to uh, dig into what is a, how many pages was your report, Sammy? I think it was 80. Oh, a mere 80 page report. So it was great to dig in. some light reading. Exactly. Some light reading. So if anybody listening to this wants some additional detail, there's plenty in the report. A lot to uh, take in over the holidays. So thanks for joining us, Sammy, and um, we will uh, be sure to hear from you more in 2024. Thanks, Tim. Copyright 2023, William Blair and Company, LLC. William Blair and Ardox are registered trademarks of William Blair and Company, LLC. As used on this podcast, William Blair refers to William Blair and Company, LLC, William Blair Investment Management, LLC, and affiliates. For more information about William Blair, go to www williamblair.com. This content is for informational and educational purposes only and not intended as investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investment advice and recommendations can be provided only after careful consideration of an investor's objectives, guidelines, and restrictions. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and are subject to change over time as market and other factors evolve.